Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to continue in our study here of this chapter, finish it up today. As you're turning there, I'm going to share with you uh, just a little story here. Um, when I was in grade school, I was going to a Christian school, and my, my father was actually on the staff uh, in this school. And at one of the assemblies, they, uh, the staff, the faculty, put on a little skit. Um, and it was such a treat because we never got to see them sort of uh, do these kind of things. And so they all came up on the stage, and it was a tiered sort of platform they had. And they, um, they had uh, uh, basically did a skit on the body. And so they had these cutouts of, of giant ears with a you know, hole for a head. So one of them you know, put their head through the ear. Uh, so we have two people playing ears. We had two people playing eyes. We had a, a big mouth at the bottom there, right? And we had two people playing hands. Two people at the bottom of the stage playing feet. And right there in the center of it was my dad playing the nose. He's got the French proboscis there, so that's where that came from. But, um, but they were all uh, playing these body parts. And as the skit began to go on, you got the sense really quickly of how the body parts felt about each other. The eyes were the rather proud, arrogant ones because they actually... You know, we're always seen by everybody, and we, you know, we get to see where we're going, and we experience so much, and we do so much for uh, the body, and the ears are saying, well, what about us? I mean, we hear everything. We have these great stuff, and the mouth was saying, hold on a second. I eat all the food. I give us all the nourishment. What about me? And the poor feet at the bottom are saying, well, we just get stuffed into sweaty socks all day long, and, you know, we're down here in the dark, and we don't get, we don't do anything. And, and so you got a sense really quick that there wasn't unity with these body parts. And everyone kind of felt like either either superior or they were inferior, right? The superior eyes of the body or the inferior feet of the body. Until the eye got something in its eye, and and it began to get red, and it began to blink and began to twitch. It was like, I got something in my eye. Well, all of a sudden, the eye realized it needed help. It needed help from who? The hand, right? The hand had to go up there and help out the eyes. Well, I don't know if I want to help you. You know, you've been pretty arrogant. You've been pretty mean. I mean... You want my help after all? So then a hand had to go help the eye, right? And then another hand had to bring the visine and help the eye because the eye was getting red. And then the nose got a cold and the nose started to run and the nose needed, you know, help because, you know, stuff was running out and the mouth was saying, yeah, get something for that. And, you know, the hands are bringing tissue. And so at the end of the whole thing, what you realize is like everyone started to realize, you know what? We really do need each other. We rely upon each other extremely. Every piece of the body is so important, and there's no one part less important than the other. In fact, the feet at the end of it realize, hold on a second, you know, we had to stand the whole body up, carry the whole body over to the place where the visine and the, you know, tissue was. Like, you know, that would have happened if had, had we not done that. And so they realize, wow, we're all equally important. And as I came to this passage today, I really remembered uh, that skit, and I thought back about it and thought, wow, what a you know, great illustration that was. That's essentially what Paul is doing here in the rest of chapter 12. He's going to elaborate on the brief statement he's only made so far about the body of Christ and the many members of the body. But let's just take a quick moment to revisit why Paul has been, what's he been talking about in, in context? He's been talking about spiritual gifts, hasn't he? And so uh, if you kind of think back about the whole book, the church of Corinth has had many, many issues, right? Difficult things that Paul has been trying to, to really guide them through. They're a real church, they're, they're real believers, but they have no idea what the church really is or, or, or how it is meant to, to function. If you remember in chapter 1, he says, you are called to be saints. 
um, which is why I titled the whole thing, you know, Live Up to Your Calling. You're, you're called to be saints, but you're not quite living up to the title of saint. You, know, you are saints, you're saints in God's eyes, but you're not living up uh, to that. And so he was writing to correct all the divisions and all the disorder that were taking place in the church. And then you get to chapter 7, and Corinth has sent him a letter, and, and the, the letter has certain things that he's beginning to address. So now he's addressing things that the church in Corinth has brought to his attention. And so we've been going through all these things. There have been marriage issues and difficulties in the church regarding sexual immorality. They were suing one another, right? Uh, and, uh, and then you even had difficulties around the communion table, just like we had. People were gluttonous and selfish. And so there was just a lot of difficulty taking place. And so Paul has been addressing all these things. And now he's come to spiritual gifts. And the same thing is happening with the gifts. There's been misuse and misunderstanding which these spiritual gifts. They're still a very much a divided church. You can't picture this church as a, a, a church of unity. They're divided. And their use of the gifts really was only creating a further divide, a further divide, when actually the gifts are what are meant to bring us further, closer together. So beginning in chapter 12, uh, Paul has launched on this uh, teaching on the spiritual uh, gifts. He said in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So he wants them to understand what the gifts are for and how they're to be used. And to make his point recently here, he's begun to use the human body as a metaphor for the church. Why? Because the human body is made up of many members, right? Many parts, but although there's many members, we make up one organic whole, right? It's one living thing with many, many parts, and Paul introduced that in chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So that's true of the human body, he's saying, but it's true of Christ as well. How? Because we are members, um, one with Christ. We're unified with him, and we looked at a lot of passages last week that speak to that. But I want to take you to one that we haven't looked at. It's John chapter 17, just to make a short left-hand turn back to the Gospels. In John chapter 17, this is Paul, uh, John's um, high priestly prayer where he's praying uh, fully for himself, and then he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for all future believers. So you could say Jesus is praying for you in this passage because he prays for all the future people that would believe on him. In John chapter 17, verse 20, this is what Jesus prayed. I do not pray for these alone, meaning his, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be, what's it say? One. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. For the world to believe that we follow the living Jesus Christ, that he was sent to earth by God to die for our sins, Jesus says, you need to be one. You need to be unified. There's got to be unity. And so he prays that that unity would exist. And so Paul, beginning to address this whole issue of unity, is trying to get this across, that, that we all become one in Christ because we all receive the same life from Christ, right? We're living, we're alive today. I don't mean just, just breathing, lots of human, you know, breathers on the earth, but we have spiritual life, right? Eternal life. Uh, we live because of Christ. And we looked at this verse last week in 1 John 5, 12. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's just 
That's just the bare bottom foundational truth of scripture, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's right. And so we only have life through him. And what he explained last week was how that actually happens. And he brought up this idea of baptism by the spirit in verse 13. If you look at that again, he says, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. The spirit is the agent of baptism. The spirit is, is what places us into the body of Christ. Uh, you, it's not you going and applying for membership at a church. It's a spiritual thing that takes place. The spirit does it, and we all are made to drink into one spirit, meaning he indwells each and every one of us. And that's why he says we are all baptized into one body. We're all made to drink into one spirit. And really the main point we focused on last week was that the spirit does that uh, to all of us. It happens for all of us, and it happens once. Um, there's not um, sort of some sort of division that is created when, when you kind of think of a, a baptism that comes second, later, and maybe with some sort of special gift. That just creates a division in the church. That isn't meant to be there. Um, and so what was happening in Corinth was very similar. You had people with certain gifts, showy gifts, the gifts of tongues, the miraculous gifts, healings, right? And they were, they were sort of becoming like these top-tier Christians. And then you had these second-class Christians. You had the feet, right? That felt like, well, you know, I don't really have any of those gifts, so what am I, you know, what good am I? Let me just tell you, there are no upper or lower class Christians. We're equal. We're all the same. And um, there are uh, not those Christians with the Spirit and those without. We all have the Spirit. Because we looked at last week, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. So all Christians have the Spirit. Everyone's been placed uh, as a member into the body. There's not a halfway house. There's not a spiritual limbo uh, for a Christian. And the point that Paul is going to nail home today is is this, that because there's diversities of gifts, God does not want us all doing the same thing. The diversity is is on purpose, and the diversity is necessary for the unity. Uh, The diversity of our members of our body, human body, is necessary for the whole. It's a very simple analogy, right? A child can get that. Yet he's going to really uh, develop this here, this metaphor of the church as a body, and he's going to elaborate on it. Now, it's interesting just to note, just south of, of Corinth, where Corinth is located, there's a city called Asclepion, and it was an ancient shrine to the god Apollo. Um, and later, it was made a shrine to his son, Eclepius, which was the god of medicine. And people would travel to the shrine with infirmities, and they would, uh, in the hopes of being cured by the god. And what's notable about this site is that there have been found, they found in this site over 900 clay terracotta body parts that people had brought uh, and molded uh, to offer to the God either in the hopes of being healed or in, in, in a thanks for being healed. And I'll show you a picture. There's a, a museum nearby that that has all these clay terracotta pieces of bodies. There's arms, there's legs, there's hips, right? There's noses, there's ears. There's all these parts that are hanging in there. They found all these things um, to, to just say, hey, look, we, you know, we want to be healed. And you know, I, I, I thought about this. It's, it's interesting. It's so close to Corinth. I just wonder if Paul knew that was going on there. And when he saw those things, he thought, that's the disjointed church body I see at Corinth. You know, maybe I'll use that analogy, you know, when I talk to them. I can't, you know, prove that that's, that's the case. But when you do look at a bunch of disjointed members not functioning together properly as a body should, you, you know, you, you know, you're going to go, hey, hold on a second. I, I see something familiar here. 
And that's really the picture that's happening here. You got this uh, disjointedness that shouldn't be. All these uh, arms and limbs, and they're not connected to anything. And he's trying to get them to realize, no, you need one another. So let's look at the passage. We're actually um, going to go through the whole thing today. It's 14 to 31, which I know it's funny because we've only covered a couple verses over the last few weeks, and we're going to do 18 today. But um, it's quite a simple analogy, so we'll go through it. But let me read to begin with, verses 14 to 31. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And on our presentable parts, our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word To us today, Lord, we pray for your blessing of your spirit today to illuminate truth. Lord, what a magnificent passage we have before us today. And I do do pray that you would guide us into this, Lord, and that you would reveal, um, Lord, the very uh, rich, applicable truths that are here, Lord, that we would be encouraged and edified as a body of Christ through your word and for your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a couple points that we're going to be looking at as we go through this. And the first is, Paul wants us to remember that there is member diversity. Um, Member diversity, we look at verse 14 again. He says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And Paul uses the word member there that literally means a limb, a a human body member. So we know he's talking about the the human body here when he says that. Okay, there's one uh, body, but, but, but many members of that body. And now he's going to use this metaphor to illustrate the diversity. He's going to make three points, and these are the ones I want to take you through. But I think the main overarching point would be this. Don't underestimate your importance. Don't underestimate your importance. I think a whole lot of churches are filled with people thinking, I just got nothing to offer. That is not the case, and Paul is going to make that point as we look at this. And the first is this, letter A, all members are of the body. All members 
you're, you're part of the body, right? If you're in the body, you're part of the body. That's it, right? So how many Christians are in the body? All of them, right? And we've gotten that part. I hope they nailed that down pretty firmly, right? We're all in the body. There's no one here saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not in the body. No, 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 no. You're in the body. There's no getting out of that. So that's what he says, right? If the foot should say, verse 15, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Very simple analogy, isn't it? All the parts are necessary. It doesn't matter what the, the foot says. It doesn't matter what the ear says. You can say that all day long. Still in the body. Still part of the body, right? But what does that mean for those in the church body? What's he talking about here? What about those feet or those ears that maybe are inactive? What's happening here? They're not functioning as the a body. There's many reasons that that happens. And one of them, I think, is, is discouragement. Right, people that look at uh, the church and say, well, they obviously only care about the, the hands and the eyes, uh, but I'm just a foot. What might be the reasons they don't want to be involved, right? I'm not really that important, right? Well, what's Paul say? You are, because you're part of the body. If you're a member of it, then you have a function. Now, I know we have parts of our bodies that apparently, you know, you can cut away and it's, it's okay and what, whatever, right? Paul's, Paul's analogy is pretty clear, though, right? It still has a function. God didn't put anything in our body that we didn't have, didn't have some kind of function. And for people that say that doesn't seem to be a place for me, I would just ask you this. Do you have a spiritual gift? Do you have a spiritual gift? Do you know what that is? If you do know what that is, don't just sit around and wait for someone in the church to give you an official position and say, oh, well, here, let me give you this. What I would say is use it. Minister to people. If you, if you got the gift of helps, help people. Like we used to say, right? You have the gift of giving, give to people. Mercy, show mercy to people. You just start exercising that gift. Exhortation, go around and exhort people. I tell you that you don't need a church to tell you what you need to do and how to do it. You just go do it. And what happens organically, it's amazing. I've seen this happen many times over the years, is that people in leadership begin to realize or recognize there's a gift going on there. It's being utilized. It's amazing. It's, and now it's to the point like, you know, we need to, we need to make provision for that. Let's get, a, let's get a room assigned for them and a time or whatever it might be. That happens all the time. Um, but I think people sometimes feel like, oh, I just got to kind of sit and be a spectator. And I'll tell you, there's no part of your body that just is a spectator. It, we all function. We all are used. My point is there's no excuse for inactivity, even as the foot would say, well, I'm not really part of the body. Now, sometimes it's just really discouragement. You know, they just feel like there's not an opportunity. I would say, listen, just use that gift and just see what God does with it. There could be an element, el uh, another element that Paul's getting at, and it could be envy. It could be the idea of people that have a, a gift envy. Like if you look at that foot again, well, I'm not the hand, so I guess I'm not of the body. Because the hand obviously is way more important. Again, I'm down here in this sweaty sock and I don't ever get to do anything, right? Let me ask you, was envy present in the city of Corinth, in the, in the, the church in Corinth? It was, right? Because we looked at chapter 3, Paul said that they were carnal. Do you remember that? And he defined that. He said in verse 3, For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? Envy, strife, and divisions are elements, aspects of carnality, which is worldliness, fleshliness, 
And so he says, there's envy in that church. And that's certainly probably what's happening here as well. They weren't operating from humility. They just had selfishness. Uh, they didn't want to use the gift they had. They saw the spectacular gifts being used. They said, well, I don't have that one. I wish I had that gift. And that's not what God wants either. We're to use whatever gift God has given us joyfully because we recognize, hold on a second, I have a function and it's important, right? It's just as important as any others. Here's another point he makes, and this is it. All members are essential. It's in verse 17. Look what he says. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Really obvious, you know, illustration here as well, right? This is almost sounds like something sci-fi, like you'd see in Star Trek, a big floating eyeball, right? But no body. You're just, if you're just an eye, there's not a body, right? You're a part of a body. It almost looks like you belong somewhere else, right? You, you, you can't just be all an eyeball or, you know, all, you know, whatever, hearing or smelling. It, it, it's all going together. And he's talking about some senses here, isn't he, right? Our five senses need to operate together for our bodies to operate properly. Those senses are assigned to parts of our body, right? Our mouth tastes, our nose smells, our ears hear, right? We need all those pieces working together to experience things, right? To experience life. We only experience them through those five senses. Well, what about those in life who maybe have lost one of those senses or one of those senses has been dulled? Difficult, right? Difficult. Even people who have maybe been temporarily disabled and have to be on crutches, you find, oh, this is difficult. I'm really glad when I heal, I have two feet, right? You realize it's, a, it's very difficult when the body is not all functioning like it, it ought to be functioning. Listen, the body of Christ is the same way, just like our physical bodies, right? We, we have to have every part functioning together. Um, not one gift higher than the other, all the gifts working uh, together. Now, I know sometimes it seems like one, you know, one or more of the gifts is highlighted or held in greater esteem uh, than the others. Uh, sometimes it seems that way. But the point here is, like, do you have a gift? You should just be using it. Did you, did you have anything to do? With the gift that you received, did you go select it from a choice of gifts when you signed up to a church? Like, oh, I'll have me that one, and I'll take a little bit of that one. And no, God just gives it, right? In fact, just to take you back to verse 11, this is what he said. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It's the spirit that does that. He distributes it, he does it, and it's his choice, which is another point. All members are gifted by God. God has given you that gift. You could be upset with someone in the church, perhaps, if that person had given you the gift and say, well, I don't like this gift. You should have given me a different one, don't you? Know? But it's God who's given you the gift. Take it up with him. See what he says about it. But look at verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased, as he pleased. To be discontent with our gifts is to be discontent with who? God. This is a mistake I think the Corinthian believers made. They wanted the gifts that were the showy gifts. They didn't have those gifts. And you're really going to see it come alive and come out in chapter 14 when we get there. So you know what they were doing? They were questioning the wisdom of God, questioning his, his goodness. It's kind of like that person in Romans 9 that Paul, the imaginary person that says, God, why did you make me like this? And, and Paul says, doesn't the potter have right to do what he wants with the clay? Absolutely, right? We're the thing formed, and we can't say to the thing who formed us, well, why did you make me 
like this. But is that not our world today? Our world today says, I'm not happy the way I was created. I want to change myself, reintroduce myself into society. I want to be God. That is a dangerous thing. But that happens in the church even with gifts. The root of that is pride. There's just not room for pride in the church. Listen, God knows what he's doing. He put the members, each one, where he wanted as he pleased. And there's a reason for that. And this is why Paul says what he does in verse 19. Look at verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? If there's only one member, one part that was the, the needed part, like the tongues, for example, if that was all that was really that important, then there wouldn't be a body. Why would we need that? Everyone had the same thing. You wouldn't really have a body. You'd have one part. That's it. But all parts depend on each other. You know what's, what's amazing about the body of Christ and the human body, the diversity, right? But there's also interdependency. There's a lot of times um, body parts that rely on the function of other body parts or that part will cease to function. The same thing is true here. There's dependency, there's interdependency in the church, which is the second point, member dependency. We depend on one another. Look at verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. When many parts make up one organic whole, there is an interdependency. There's not an independence. There's not an independence. That's a difference. And so we've got to show a couple things. We've got to show proper interest, proper care, proper honor for all the parts, just like you do your human body. And that's what he's going to delve into here. First, the proper interest. Look what he says in verse 21. Um, he says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Um, I think, you know, we just looked at the, maybe the discouraged group, maybe the group that says, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a place. There's not a place for me. They don't need me. Maybe this is more the group that says, I don't need them. Uh, maybe these are the people that are overestimating their importance. You have the ones that underestimate their importance. Now, these are the ones that overestimate their importance, right? I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, right? Listen, I've got this gift. I've got it all in hand, and I certainly don't need anybody else. Listen, nobody should ever adopt that mindset that they can function alone in a church. Uh, hopefully, you've realized that through lockdown. <laughs> Hasn't been healthy for people who have been locked down. We're not meant to be locked down. We need one another. It's not a concept you can get across to a government that is secular, right? You just can't get, so uh, Mr. Johnson, let me just tell you how this works. <laughs> you, you'd get nowhere with that, which is why we said we're just going to meet because we know the importance of meeting. We can't be a disjointed body meeting together um, just on Zoom. It just doesn't function. So here you have this idea with the mention of certain body parts, the eye, the head, saying this to the hand and the foot, you know, I think the intended audience is probably those with the, the greater spiritual gifts, the ones that are getting all the praise, right? Uh, they think they have all they need. They're, they're quick to dismiss those with the lesser uh, gifts. Because last time we looked at the foot and the ear speaking to the hand and the eye. So here we have the, you know, these upper parts saying, well, I don't, I don't think I need you, and I don't think I need you. But look at verse 22. No, no, you can't say that. Much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker, now notice he doesn't say they are, seem to be weaker, right, are necessary. Now, weaker is just feeble. That's the word there. Maybe your Bible says feeble. He says this, you, you, you may have a weaker part of your body, but you still depend on that body. Um, all the parts are necessary. Let me give you an example. 
my pinky toe. How necessary is your pinky toe? How much care and attention do you give to your pinky toe? Girls, you don't count because you do pay attention to your pinky toes, right? The girl's like putting paint on it. Guys, we don't ever look at our pinky toes, right? In fact, if it didn't count every day, I could lose a pinky toe somewhere along the lines and be like, holy cow, there's only four. When did that happen? I would have no idea. Pinky toe. You know what happened? Got a little toenail fungus. I know. Uh, I'm at pinky toe. And I just, you know, didn't deal with it. You know what started to happen? I'm a runner. I started running. It started hurting. My foot actually started hurting to the point where I wasn't really able to run. I had to go to the doctor and get a pill to take away the toenail fungus. Guess what? I show the proper interest to my pinky toe now. I take, I say, oh, pinky toe, how are you today? I value you so much. And then Jody hears me in the shower. She says, you're going crazy. But listen, it's, it's a necessary part. I just, I got in the habit of neglecting it, didn't I? And, and we will do that with our weaker parts, our feeble parts. What are the really weak parts of our bodies? They're located inside of us, aren't they? You know what? Those parts of your body that are inside of you, your liver, your heart, your lungs, can't not be on the outside, can they? You can't have it that way. They have to be on the inside. They're protected by tissue, right, by bone. They need that because they're, they're fragile. They can't be out in plain sight yet. They're extremely important, are they not? Those parts are vital. And that's the point here. You can have these weaker parts, and maybe you don't see them, right? But no, those are the very necessary parts, the parts that you often don't see. The church we came from back home relied upon a very large secretarial and administrative assistant staff of, of ladies to help us. I, they, were all, they were all ladies. Um, and you would not believe the amount of work that would go in each week just so Sundays could happen or special events that could happen. And any given week, we had, you know, some kind of drama that would arise that the church would have to react to. And we would, I would tell you, we would rely upon that support staff. Otherwise, all of the pastoral staff would be, we'd be doing, you know, just that. And we'd never get to praying, ministering to people, preparing the word, those kind of things. And we relied upon them so much. But I, I just thought, I wonder how often people walked into the sanctuary on a Sunday, right, and had any inkling that those women even existed. Did anything at all. No idea. Unless they walked into the offices during the week, you wouldn't even know. You walk into the offices during the week and you would know. Hey, there's a hubbub going on. People are running around everywhere. Listen, we rely upon those parts that you don't often see. They're the behind-the-scenes things that are taking place, right? I know that there are people who are prayer warriors here, people with the gift of faith that are uh, holding the leadership of the church up in prayer. I, I know it because there's been tough things we've gone through. And I'm like, the Lord has been here. You know, I, I cannot survive without that. But do you, who, who are those people? Do you ever hear about? There are people doing that. We rely upon those parts that are just not seen. And that is what he's trying to say here. You cannot get into the mindset that there's only these parts. But listen, in the evangelical world today, that is what's highlighted, isn't it? It's the speaker up front. It's the name in lights. It's all that kind of stuff. And it's the wrong, it's the wrong picture of the church. It really is. It doesn't rely upon one person alone. It relies upon everybody working together. You got to show the proper interest in every single part. That is the point. Now, Paul is kind of moving down the body in his analogy and even deeper into the body. And he's going to talk about honor. There should be proper honor shown as well. Look at verse 23. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable 
on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. So two things are mentioned here. You have the less honorable parts, and you have the unpresentable parts. It's talking about two different things. Let me show you the Greek words here. Less honorable is actually one word in the Greek. It's atimos, and it means dishonored or of less esteem. All right? It's only used four times in the New Testament. The other two, two times are here in, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 4 and, and then here. The other two times are in the Gospels, and it's used the same way, where Jesus says the prophet is not without honor except in his own country. So dishonor, right? So P- Paul is using it the same way here. What are the parts of your body that we would say we typically think to be less honorable? What are we talking about when we say honorable? Do we even want to bring it up, right? Well, they're the parts that we do try to hide often with clothing. Now, it's harder in our world today because clothing, there's such a fashion thing to clothing. But, but we're talking about the, you know, the, the, the paunches, right, that start to come out and the, the hips and the, the things that we generally cover up with clothes. Well, how do we know we're talking about that? Because of the word bestow. Do you see how he says um, we bestow greater honor? That word bestow is paratithemi, and it means literally to place around or to put a garment on. So he is talking about those parts of the body, and particularly in that world, that you would, you would clothe, that you would cover, okay? They're the less honorable parts. Now, let's just think about this for a second. We spend a vast amount of time and money in our world today to, to make sure parts of our bodies are clothed. It's more about fashion, but also there's, I've learned that there's a science to this. We've got a couple people wearing stripes here, right? I've learned, like, depending on how you wear stripes, this way or this way, that makes a difference, <laughs> right? I mean, that you might be trying to accent something or, you know, not <laughs> highlight something, right? And so you're like, people are very strategic about their clothing. And this is what he's talking about, covering up the, the, those parts. Um, we, we, we do that. What we say, he says, they're um, less honorable parts, but we show them greater honor. Right? We actually put greater time and care around those parts is his, his point here, which we do in the world uh, today. We don't do that to our faces and our, our hands. Right? I don't see very often people you know, covering up all those things. It's our bodies. And then he uses another word, the unpresentable parts. Those are the less honorable parts, unpresentable parts. And this word is eskemon, and it just means indecent. It's only used here in the New Testament. And those are the parts that we treat with modesty. And that can be obviously clear what we're talking about here. Those are the parts that ought to be covered up, right? Um, we treat them with care and modesty. And when we do that, guess what? They become more decent and more honorable. But when they are displayed, like in our world today, um, we have to be, be honest about how, how body parts are flaunted all over the world today, which is evidence of a depraved culture. Um, they seem more unseemly and shameful, right? The parts themselves are not. What's Paul's point here? His point is this. The Corinthians were were failing to be kind, considerate, uh, protective of those maybe who didn't have the more prominent gifts of tongues and healings and, and all those things, and they failed to show honor and respect to those members. And Paul is saying, listen, we even show honor to the less honorable parts of our human bodies, right? Why wouldn't we do that with the body of Christ? In addition, even the human body compensates for its weaker parts. Those fragile pieces are hidden on the inside of you. Your body's made that way. That's his idea. And listen, you can, 
easily see this. You can lose an eye, you can lose an ear, you can lose a limb, right? And you can still live, you can still function, right? But you lose one of those internal organs that are vital, good luck, right? You have to have those parts. Now, when it comes to honor, speaking about honor, God has it all worked out. He, he really knew what he was doing here. Look at verse 24. But our presentable parts have no need. What's he saying there? They have no need of what? Well, they don't have need of the extra honor, the encouragement, the protection, all those things, because, well, generally, those come as a matter of course anyway, because of that position. But they, they should share that honor with those upon whom they rely, right? We rely upon so many others. So if those gifts are these showy gifts or whatever they were, they should understand, listen, you don't need extra honor. It's already going to come, but that honor should be shared. That doesn't always happen. So listen, God has it worked out. Look what he says. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. How has he done that? How has God given greater honor to those part that don't, parts that don't generally get the honor? Well, he's done that with our physical bodies. I just mentioned that. But guess what? He's done it with the spiritual one as well. Look at the word composed. It's a very hard word to even pronounce. Sunger kanomni, something like that. Sunger anumi, I think is how I would say it. But to mix together, to commingle, to unite. God has composed, commingled this group of people in this body, right? He's put the spiritual body together. He's done that. And he gives greater honor to those that lack it. Now, Paul talks about the judgment seat of believers, does he not? The Bema seat judgment. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul alludes to it in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. But in 2 Corinthians 5.10, this is what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. There it is according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now listen, believers won't sit in a judgment of condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word tells us that. But we will sit in judgment for what things we have done in the body, not your physical body, this body. What we've done in the body, good or bad, how we've served one another, how we've loved one another, there will be a rewards. This is a rewards time at the judgment seat. And I think, I think many, many people are going to be surprised that there can be surprise in heaven, surprised that the rewards at this reward seat, because I think the people in high positions with the great achievements um, in this world won't receive as much as some of those people who simply just had the spirit of servanthood. I, I really think that. I think they'll go, whoa, that person got all that? I mean, all they did was, you know, stay at home and, and pray and uh, wash the feet of the saints and do these things. But I was up there doing great things, Lord. That's the idea there. Didn't Jesus say many who are first will be last and the last first? I think that's a concept that Paul is saying here. God has that part worked out. You be faithful to him. You serve in the right spirit. And guess what? Rewards, honor, that will come. You may be in a place where that just doesn't come. You may not get the praises of men. Guess what? We're not here for the praises of men anyway. We're here for what? I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. So God has composed the physical body that way. He's composed the spiritual body that way. Why has he done that? Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body. No schism in the body. Unity, the proper unity. This is what Paul is talking about. You heard a couple of scriptures read this morning about unity, right? He's talking about unity. Now, Paul 
talks about this a lot in Ephesians. And I just want to take you there real quick in Ephesians chapter 2. If you just kind of skip ahead to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, he is talking about natural hatred between Jews and Gentiles in here. And he describes what Jesus' death did, his death on the cross, did to break down the, the natural barriers of hatred that existed between those two groups. <coughs> in Ephesians, Galatians and Ephesians, chapter 2, verse uh, 14. He says this, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one. What's both? Both as the Jew and the Greek, okay? He's made both of those into one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the hatred, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself, get it, one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He is talking about the, the death of Christ here that has opened the way for unity, that groups of people who were normally, naturally hostile to one another, now there would no longer even be those two groups of people. They had been made into one, one new man, one new body. Paul has already said that in our passage. If you go back to our passage, in verse 13, right, we are all been baptized into body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, right? We've been made one. He repeats that sentiment in Galatians 3.28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. He just adds, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about here? God's composition of the Bible, of the body of Christ, right? It's meant to be, we're all meant to be one. We're, we're unified. And we're to encourage unity, not division. And that's what he says here, that I've done this so that there won't be any schism, that's division, in the body. It's also meant to encourage proper care. There should be proper care of individuals in the church. Proper care, verse, the rest of verse 25. But that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored... All the members rejoice with it. I love that. You know what that says to me? That says that we need to care about the crash workers next door as much as we do about the leadership of the church council. It tells me that we need to care about those who are greeting people and helping people park cars as much as we do about the people who teach, right? That's the proper care. That's the proper care. Making sure that they have everything that they need. And also... Um, if people suffer, we all suffer, right? If one member is honored, we rejoice with those members. That's mutual love. That's mutual care. There's no room for rivalry, competition, envy, or the things we looked at at the beginning, inferiority or superiority. There's just, those things just don't, they're not meant to exist in the church. The kind of love, care, concern, honor, that God wants can only take place in one place on the planet. And you know where that is? Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. It only takes place in the body of Christ. You won't find any other organization on earth that has that, just the body of Christ. And by the way, we're not an organization, we're an organism. We're living and breathing. And listen, this is the first time body of Christ is mentioned in the New Testament. We talk about it all the time, but you know, it's actually not mentioned that often. Body of Christ, right here. Guess where the only other place that phrase is mentioned? It's in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. You should be familiar with this 
verse because we've looked at it a lot over the time talking about gifts. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The two times it's used in the New Testament, both in reference to the spiritual gifts and how they're to be used together to edify all of us. You see that? We're to use our gifts to serve one another. We have member diversity. We have member dependency. One final point, point, and we'll finish this quickly. Member provision. Member provision. Verses 28 to 31. Just look at verse 28. God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. Now, we're not going to go through all the gifts again because we covered those. Um, We did it extensively. If you missed it, go back and and listen to it. Just remember, Paul is just listing some of the gifts. Even here, he's adding ones that he hasn't mentioned earlier. He's repeating some that he has. The point is, is that there's a variety of gifts, and God has appointed. Did you notice that? God has appointed. So three times in this passage is God doing it. I still can't understand how people say, no, but you need to seek this gift. I just don't see it because God has appointed. Now, we're going to get to this verse in a second. Notice one really th- quick thing. He says, that he has appointed these in the church, and he lists them in numbers. Do you see that? First, second, and third. He says, first, um, you have apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. What's, is, there, is there significance here? They may be. I think the Corinthians may have relegated those three particular gifts at, at, to the lesser roles and highlighted the other ones. And so he was kind of coming around saying, listen, if you want to highlight something and put something as importance, then it should be this, 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 one, two, three. Because they were taking those things and putting them down here and saying, oh, but miracles and in tongues. And he was saying, first, apostles, right? Second, prophets, prophecy, the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the word of God. Third, teachers. He's saying, if you're going to put something important, make sure people are getting fed and they're hearing the word of God. But anyway, I think he's trying to make a point there that, that, that there is um, a God that has appointed these and not all of them are the same gifts, apostles, prophets, and that's what he goes into those other verses. We've read it before, but all, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? And obviously, the answer to that is no. We don't all have the same gifts. It is interesting, and I pointed this out when we went through the gifts, that you have all these magnificent, you know, high-powered looking gifts, and then he wedged in helps and administrations there, right, in verse 28. Notice that in verses 29 to 30, helps and administrations are not there. The gifts that he's asking, do all have these things? They're all those miraculous gifts. They're all the gifts you could see them wanting to have. And that's what I see in the church today. I see these great movements of, there's a healing movement in this church, and there's a tongues movement. You know, I've never, ever seen a helps movement. Never. The gifts of helps taken off in that church. Go there. Have you, have you ever heard that? No one would go there. The giving movement, right? Everyone's giving in that church. Go there. Like, whoa, what about the tongues and the miracles? I want to see people healed. Why is that? something to think about. He says, all don't have those things. I think a lot of churches are repeating the problem in 1 Corinthians 14. They should go back and read this thing, right? Listen, diversity is needed. We can't all be gifted in only one area. Let's close with verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, this is where it gets confusion. Paul has taken all this time to say, God is the one that gives the gifts. The Spirit distributes that as he will. He has appointed gifts. Don't seek a gift, right? Use your gift. Be content with your gift. And he says, but earnestly desire the best gift. It just seems like, whoa, what did you, you, you just do to us, Paul? There's really only two proper approaches to this verse. You could take either one. They're going to be good. One, 
Those first three gifts that he mentions, first, second, and third, tie into this. Those are the greater gifts in his, his mind, and they're all seeking the other gifts, the gifts of healings and miracles and all those uh, things, okay? And so he says, okay, so if you're going to like want a gift, desire for a gift to be prevalent in the church, then earnest, earnestly desire the best gifts, the ones that I have just listed there. Because why? They profit the whole church, and he's going to say that later. They profit everybody. Those who speak in tongues, they just edify themselves, right? But this profits everybody. That's one approach. You can take that. Another one is, is this, and that is the phrase, but earnestly desire the best gifts. In the Greek, you either have a statement, which is the indicative, it's just a statement, or you have a command, which is imperative, but they are phrased the exact same way. The only way to know if it's a command or a statement is in the context that it's in. It's, it looks the exact same way. And so how do you know? What do you have to look at? Well, this could be a command, but earnestly desire the best gifts. It could be. Or it could be a statement, which would be this, but you earnestly desire the best gifts. Now, that certainly fits the context. It could be that, right? I've been preaching about this. You shouldn't be seeking your own gifts. God gives gifts. You're not all apostles. You're not all teachers. But you're earnestly desiring the best gifts. Could be that. You take either one and let the Holy Spirit guide you to your conclusion. But the, uh, Paul's ultimate point is this. You're seeking gifts. You're all focused on gifts, 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 gifts. Gifts have a purpose, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Yet I show you a more excellent way. Folks, there is a more excellent way than being so focused on the gifts. What is that excellent way? Well, you're going to have to come back next week, and we're going to talk about it then. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this wonderful analogy of the body, Lord, that you would give Paul uh, such uh, words, Lord, to just uh, really help us to see truly how important each and every individual is in the body of Christ, Lord. There are obviously um, oftentimes certain positions that seem to get the greater glory and attention, and it seems to be, well, that's that's really all there is to that church, and yet there's so much more, so much more, Lord. You've, you've given every single person uh, a rich gift, and you desire it to be used, Lord. And I just pray that your people would feel the freedom to use that gift. They do just look around the room and say, I know there are people I can exhort. I know there are, there are people I can, I can help, um, Lord, I can show mercy to. Lord, there's just so much that we can do. Lord, would you just have your way in us? Lord, your spirit's in us. Your spirit's in us. I just pray that your people would be open to your spirit's leading. They wouldn't be feeling inferior to use their gifts. I also pray, Lord, that you protect us from any feelings of superiority. Lord, there's, there's no one person more important. I know it seems like if I'm, I'm, I'm standing up here all the time and I'm teaching that, uh, that I'm some sort of special person, I've just been given a certain gift that's to be used for this purpose. And Lord, I just don't, I don't want it to go beyond that. Uh, Lord, so keep me humble. Um, it's not about I mean, this is not the church of Kevin. This is the church of Christ, and we are all members of the body of Christ. So Lord, maybe not lose that, that focus. We love you. We thank you for your word to us, and I pray your people are encouraged and, and edified today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.